It's a case that could have profound ramifications on American elections. Today, the Supreme Court announced that it will consider whether judges can throw out election maps for being so partisan they violate the Constitution. The court has never found a plan unconstitutional because of partisan gerrymandering. Our guests are Rick Hassan, professor at UC Irvine and founder of the Election Law Blog, and Joss Douglas, professor at the University of Kentucky Law School. Rick, will you start by describing the case from Wisconsin that the justice will be considering? This is one of a number of uh, cases involving partisan gerrymandering that uh, has been working its way up the courts. The claim here is that uh, Wisconsin is basically a 50-50 state between Democrats and Republicans, but the Republican state legislature drew the lines for their General Assembly in such a skewed way to help Republicans that Republicans are able to capture many more seats than uh, would be done if it were a fairly drawn district. Josh, the last time the Supreme Court really dealt with this issue was back in 2004. Can you describe where the court left us after that case? Yeah, well, the court didn't answer uh, questions as much as provided more of them. Uh, four justices uh, said that there was no standard by which to test a partisan gerrymander. That is, courts basically shouldn't be involved in resolving these kinds of cases because it was not of a judicial nature and instead it was a political question. Uh, the four other justices, the four uh, so-called liberal justices, each came up with a standard. Uh, they said, here's a good standard for courts to use, and we think it's acceptable. And Justice Kennedy was in the middle, and he said, uh, I don't like any of the standards that anyone has proposed so far, but I'm not going to close the door to any future standard emerging. So you had it was kind of a 4-1-4 decision in which uh, Justice Kennedy holds all the keys to power. If he likes a standard, then maybe we'll have the ability to police partisan gerrymandering. If he doesn't, then there'll be no way for courts to do so. So, Rick, the court has been reluctant to take up partisan gerrymandering since that case. Why did they take up this case? Well, there was a uh, there was one other case where the court looked at uh, partisan gerrymandering since then, involving mid-decade redistricting in Texas. But you're right that this is the the first one, and I think the reason, uh, or one reason, the court may have taken the case, is that it came up in an, an unusual way. Most cases come up; they go to a, a district court, then they go to a uh, three-judge appeals court and eventually worked their way up to the Supreme Court on what's called a cert petition. This case came up directly from a three-judge appeals court, uh, I'm sorry, a three-judge district court, directly on appeal to the Supreme Court. And when cases come up in this unusual way, when the Supreme Court decides not to hear that case, it means the lower court got the ruling right. And so this was a rare case where a lower court said, yes, this is a partisan gerrymander. And so if the court decided not to hear that case, it would have sent the signal that, yes, courts are in the business of policing these things, but we're not going to tell you what the standard is, how you're supposed to do it, because uh, this ruling would just mean the lower court got it right, not necessarily that its reasoning was correct. And so it would have left so many questions if the court didn't hear the case. I really would have been shocked if the court didn't take it to clarify this. So I wouldn't necessarily take it as uh, the fact that the court agreed to hear this case as meaning the court is really ready to start policing these things. It really is going to come down to Justice Kennedy. And the fact that the court, uh, an hour after issuing its uh, order that it will hear the case, issued another order that it would not stay a, a lower court order to redistrict in the meantime, means that there is uh, maybe some skepticism about what the lower court did. 
Josh, as you suggested earlier, back in 2004, uh, Justice Kennedy said, you know, I haven't seen any standards that would let us judge uh, what is an unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering. How did the lower court in this case deal with that? What was the standard that it, it suggested? Well, this is a new standard that was created by uh, law professor Nick Stephanopoulos and a political scientist, Eric McGee, called the efficiency gap. And without getting uh, too technical into the details of it, the basic uh, gist is that it's a mathematical way to look at the map's performance uh, and see if it's skewed towards one party or another. Uh, And the lower court uh, recognized that Justice Kennedy had left the door open to a standard, and it was a two-to-one decision, agreed with the uh, the efficiency gap standard modified it a little bit and came up with a test that it thought uh, was judicially manageable and that would pass Justice Kennedy's uh, test or hope for uh, a meaningful standard to emerge. And I think one of the, the key points here is that it's a fairly precise or technical standard uh, that in theory should be easy to apply. And that's one thing that Justice Kennedy w- was looking for. We're talking about the Supreme Court deciding today to take up a case on partisan gerrymandering. We're talking with Rick Hassan, a professor at UC Irvine and founder of the Election Law Blog, and Josh Douglas, professor at the University of Kentucky Law School. Rick, can you talk about the politics of gerrymandering and whether this case has the potential to have a profound effect on that and the American election system? Just a, you know, a small question there. Right. So I think that the uh, ability Willingness of political uh, parties to gerrymander is is well established, and um, the reason this has become more of a partisan issue with Democrats uh, being more interested in reining this in than Republicans is that Republicans control more state legislatures, and therefore they engage in this process more. Uh, and so, so I think it does become a kind of uh, uh, partisan issue. Uh, and if the court actually reigned in partisan gerrymandering, I think what we would see would be more Democratic seats overall. That wouldn't be true in every state, uh, but across the board, and this also would affect Congress, because state legislatures generally the ones that draw districts for Congress, and, and they'll, they'll engage in partisan gerrymandering there, too. That said, uh, it's not clear that the courts agreeing to police partisan gerrymandering is going to have a huge effect on the number of seats uh, that are uh, Republican or Democrat, uh, in part because Democrats tend to cluster in cities. And so there's kind of a natural benefit to Republicans as districts are drawn and a natural disadvantage to Democrats. So it's not really clear that it would have that effect. It's also not clear whether, as some people claim, reigning in partisan gerrymandering would produce more moderate candidates uh, uh, as um, you know, a way to try to cure the polarization in our Congress and in our state legislatures. Josh, while while it may be unusual for the court to directly consider partisan gerrymandering, we've had an awful lot of racial gerrymandering cases at the Supreme Court. Can you connect the two for us? What's the intersection between uh, racial gerrymandering cases and the court's decisions there and this partisan gerrymandering issue? Well, I think there's there's two connections, and uh, and Rick has a, a new paper out uh, that fleshes this out quite nicely. Um, and, and the the connections here are one, race and party now have become so intertwined that is to say that racial minorities tend to vote Democratic, uh, and white majorities tend to vote more Republican. Of course, that's not universal, but if you look at the numbers, those are the, the trends, especially for racial minorities. And so you have a link between trying to 
draw, trying to draw lines on the basis of politics and doing so on the basis of race. And in fact, some states have defended their, uh, their maps on racial gerrymandering challenges by saying, no, we're not drawing lines based on race. We're only concerned uh, about politics. Uh, so, so they're linked. And then the second thing I'd say is that some plaintiffs have used the racial gerrymandering doctrine to attack what are really partisan gerrymanders because of that linkage. And so if the court were to adopt a standard now for partisan gerrymandering, that would cut out the argument that, well, we were really trying to do this for politics and not for race. So I think they are very much intertwined, um, but there's been no standard to police partisan gerrymandering as of yet. If the court agrees with this standard, uh, then there'll be another line of attack. You wouldn't have to go after a partisan gerrymander under the guise of a racial gerrymander. You could go after the partisan gerrymander directly. So, Rick, in this Wisconsin case, the plaintiffs pushed a plan called the efficiency gap, and the lower court didn't endorse it completely. What is that plan, and what's your opinion of it? Right, so the task in, in all of these partisan gerrymandering cases is figuring out when consideration of political party information is too much. Uh, there's a legitimate reason to consider political party information when you're drawing districts, because you want to put people who have similar ideas together in the same district. That way a representative can best represent that district. It would be uh, kind of a strange situation if, if districts kept changing, if they were, say, half Democrats and half Republicans, and they kept shifting uh, every couple of years. Uh, that might not be great for representation. So all the justices agree that it's okay to look at some party information, and the question is how much is too much? In the Veith case, which was mentioned earlier, the 2004 case, there were, I think, at least six different standards that were put forward before Justice Kennedy, and each one of them he rejected as not sufficiently manageable as a standard. And so what's been happening since Veith is the plaintiffs have tried to come up with other standards. And the standard that the plaintiffs latched onto in the Wisconsin case is, uh, as you uh, mentioned earlier, called the efficiency gap. And it's basically looking at how many votes are wasted in each district. So, for example, if you stick a whole bunch of Democrats into a district, so a district uh, that's electing a Democrat has 80% Democratic voters and 20% Republicans, to keep the example very simple, then those extra 30% of Democratic voters, those votes are kind of wasted. They could have been put into other districts. And so if you see much more of this happening on the, on the, uh, to Democrats and Republicans, you have this kind of asymmetry, then that shows you um, that there could be a partisan gerrymander. Plaintiffs put that standard out there. The court partially adopted it, and it's going to be one of the many standards that are going to be put before Justice Kennedy uh, as the case gets considered next term. About 30 seconds left. Um, Josh, do you agree that Justice Kennedy will be the swing vote in this? Yeah, he's absolutely the swing vote because he's uh, he said in that 2004 case, um, I don't like any of the standards out there, but I'm open to a standard emerging uh, if, if if someone who's really smart can come up with it. And so he apparently is still actively looking, and, and so he's the whole ballgame. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Josh Douglas, professor at the University of Kentucky School of Law, and Rick Hassan, professor at UC Irvine, also founder of the Election Law blog, which we all follow. 